A time like that is bittersweet in the sense that you never want to take the time out to pray for a family member that way because you don't want to see any of us suffer. And yet, there is something that is so unique and so beautiful about us stopping and praying for each other. So, thank you for doing that with this church. Um, the, uh, the other part of us, our family time together here, is that um, tonight is our annual meeting, as I talked about, for our voting uh, members to come and to vote on our, our budget that kind of gives us you know, authority and money to spend for next year and all. And so this is kind of a family time because I'm kind of setting the table for tonight and all. And so and family, families can, you know, be awkward. I mean, <laughs> I remember in second grade, I've never told my son this because he'll use this against me and all, but so I'll go ahead. I remember in second grade, I got invited to a family's house for dinner one time. And they were having Chinese food. I didn't know what that was. I was really, really a redneck. Actually, in looking back, I can't even believe they had Chinese food in that little town we grew up in. I called my mom and asked her to bring me a cheeseburger. (laughs) Is that rude or what? Um, This morning, we're having some family time here, and you might wish you could call your mama and ask her to bring you a cheeseburger, all right? (laughs) We're going to be talking about our church, where we are as a church, what we're about as a church, and where we want to go as a church today. And so, you know, we've been talking about, out of Colossians chapter 2, and um, you can look there if you want to. I'm just going to be kind of referring you to it. I'm going to be refreshing our memory, but I'm just going to kind of place us in this passage. You know, and so, and we've talked about, we've been in chapter 2 for a number of weeks now. And so, in chapter 2, you know, <clears throat> Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and he's speaking about them being established. He's speaking about them um, being, that, about how Christ in him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Chapter 2, verse 3. He, he's talking about that he wants people to be established so that they would not be deluded with any persuasive argument. And he talks about this, and, and we, we kind of been through this a little bit a few weeks ago, about being established. He goes on, he says, being firmly rooted, being built up in verse 7. He, he talks about walking in Christ in verse 6. He talks about... Um, being established there in verse 7, in your faith. Um, he, and he goes on and he says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells. And he, and, he, and he goes to this chapter and he talks about the riches that are in Christ. He talks about that, that in him all of us had a debt we owed, but in him that debt has been canceled for all those who would place their faith in him through Christ. He talks about in verse 14, I, I especially love this mental image. And he says that in Christ, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it and out of the way and nailed it to the cross. This morning, I want to talk about a couple of things. There's a book that I really, really love. Um, called Loving, Loving the Church, Blessing the Nations. Out, outside of Scripture, this book has probably been the most influential book in my understanding of church and my understanding of what we can look like in all. And he has this particular one statement in here that I really, really love. 
and I've, and I've highlighted it up, and I've marked it up, and I probably, I know I've used it here before because it captures my imagination, and, and it says something in a way that even I can't say it, and, and here's an excerpt of it, but what he says is this. He says, the church, as God designed her to be, is stunningly beautiful, is stunningly beautiful. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I will have to say that. That's not up there. I'm talking now. All right? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I believe that what we did this morning for Cheryl and what we've done for Scott and Linda, what we've did for the, for the Gregories and so many other people in our church, that, that is beautiful. I believe it is stunningly beautiful when the church acts that way. She is the visible body in whom Christ resides the fullest manifestation of him on earth until he returns in glory. She is the bride-to-be, an exquisitely delightful young woman being prepared by the Father for marriage to his son. Churches are magnificent. There must be more of them everywhere. He goes on, he says in another portion of the book, he says, and to say that the church is an awesome resource is still an understatement possibly somewhat even condescending. She is more than that. She is a God-designed central player, a full partner. The vast majority of all the resources God has entrusted to his people, spiritual gifts, vocational expertise, life experience, capacity for spiritual warfare, financial resources, everything has been placed in local churches. And then he says... Each one, speaking of the church, is to authentically express Christ's call in the natural abilities, spiritual gifts, and life experiences of its members. The church leaders violate it when they try to impose generalities from without, even if it comes from wonderful other churches. There he's speaking about taking what someone else is doing and saying this is good for us as well. His life is released in it by the free and creative expression of who is in the sum of its members. God's design for each church is to authentically express the culture in which it is rooted. This is far more foundational than a strategy for church growth. It is the church's essence that Christ's ministers throughout a culture come from a position of belonging in that culture. In other words, where we are is where we should be, and we should reflect the community and the culture around us. The church has been entrusted with that gospel message. With that message that apart from Christ, no man, woman, or child has the, has the opportunity or the hope or the ability to ever rid themselves of their sin problem. To ever begin to believe that they can sleep at night without worrying about what happens if I wake up tomorrow morning on the other side. The church has that message. And no one else does. Quite honestly, the fact of the matter is this. Campus Crusade doesn't have that message. Pioneers, any any mission agency doesn't have that message. Fellowship of Christian Athletes does not have that message. Samaritan's Purse does not have that message. That is not their mission to proclaim it. It is the church's mission to proclaim it. And their design should be that they come alongside of that church and they help proclaim it. But only us, only the church was given the task of proclaiming 
that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in that son can have eternal life and shall not perish. It is that message that we try and proclaim as often as possible. Some of our people even think that we proclaim it too much because they feel like they hear it every week. That is the message that we should be proclaiming every week. It doesn't always happen, but it happens more often than not. Our church knows that this line right here in the middle kind of distinguishes old life to new life. And this is that message. And if you're here today and you've never heard it before, never trusted it before, I encourage you to seriously consider it. It is the most important thing you will ever hear in your life. And your decision in regards to this message is the most important thing you will ever hear in eternity. And that is, every man, woman, and child is born apart from God and has no way left to themselves to ever bridge the gap between them and God. There's just no way to do it. And yet we know that religions, kingdoms, philosophies, books have been written about how to do that. They are all fruitless and will never bridge that gap. The only one who bridges that gap is the sinless Jesus who came and lived a life that was sinless, who was falsely accused, falsely convicted, wrongly tortured, and ultimately wrongly killed. It is only Jesus in his death and then three days later in his resurrection that bridges the gap between man and God. And apart from believing that for yourself and believing that Christ died for your sins, there is no way to bridge that gap. Every day will be a day of frustration. Every day will be a day of of longing to know whether you've done enough, been good enough, done the right things to bridge that gap. And in Christ, he did that for you. That's what it's talking about when he says, he took your certificate of debt, nailed it on the cross, and said it's paid. I explained that last week, that that cross with that certificate of debt means is that whatever the, the convict was being tried for, whatever the convict was being crucified for, it was put on the plaque, it was put above the convict and put on the cross. And what he's saying in this passage in Colossians is that Linda's sins were put on that cross and says that Jesus died for Linda's sins. It's saying that, that Anna's sins were put on that plaque and that he died for Anna's sins. And that in his death, in her faith that she believes he did that for her, that debt has been canceled and taken away. And she now has the opportunity to know and trust Christ. That is the message. That is the message. That we are entrusted with. And so as the church family, I want to talk to you about right now is where we are in growing in that message, where we are in growing as a church family, and where I hope that we're going. And so that later on this afternoon, our church family will come together, we'll vote on that budget. And so what I want to do is, is typically I would do what I'm doing right now this afternoon for that voting membership. But what I feel like I have to say, where we've come from, everything that's been accomplished, and what we still have to accomplish is too important to reserve it for about 90 people this afternoon. I want you all to hear it. I want you all to be excited about it. I want you all to own it. Because those 90 people don't carry the weight of this entire church. You do. 
the approximately 190 people who come here on a Sunday morning and fill this room, you carry that weight for that vision, for what we're becoming as a church. And so it's too important to reserve for this afternoon, so I'm bringing it to you this morning. The growth we've seen this year isn't just because of the voting members. It's because of all of you who are here. And the challenges that we face and the needs that we have and the things we have to overcome, they're not going to be overcome by 90 people this afternoon. They're going to be overcome by all of us in this room. Let me just start out with some, some facts. Just the facts, man, because the facts give us some clear pictures. Earlier this year, we did some work with the Center for Ministry Advancement, and they are a consulting group who's kind of been coaching us and, and giving us some advice, and we're throwing lots of questions at them. And so this is just the facts. In the context of who we are as a church, in that four-mile radius right there, there's 37,000 people. I mean, 80,000 people in that four-mile radius of where we are as a church. 80,000 80, people. Those 80,000 people need to hear the message I just talked to you about, that Christ died for each and every one of them. That, that little circle right there runs from right here in Upper Makefield up there and uh, where uh, 232 runs up there. It runs over here to Big Oak Road. You'll see it runs down here to about Business Route 1 and out here to the other side of Tyler Park. Eight miles right there, that expands that 80,000 people to 370,000 people. Runs up to just below New Hope. Out here across over here, we catch up uh, all the Newmans and the Buckleys and all you people live over there on that side of Jersey. We catch all those people in eight-mile radius from our church. 370,000 people approximately sit in that um, who we are as a church goes on further. Let me just tell you this, you know, for, I mean, I like numbers, you know, Gary, um, Larry Newman makes his living with numbers, you know, and stuff. So this is kind of a little bit about us. In that eight mile radius, 12% of people in that eight mile radius are between 18 to 24. 13% of us fall in that. We're pretty close to it. 25 to 34, that age range, 15% of us fall in that. 15% of us in the 15 mile, in the eight mile radius fall in that. 35 to 45, 15% of our radius fall in that. 10% of us fall in that category. 45 to 54, we're an old group of people. I mean, no, 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 that's, I'm sorry, it's the next one. We're right in line there. 19% of the radius, 20% of our church. It's the next one. 55 to 64. There's only 19% of the people in our eight-mile radius that are in that. 33% of us are there. That means when you take a picture from the back of the room, you get a lot of baldness. Sorry if that stung, you know? <laughs> 65 plus, 20% of our population is that. Only 9% of our church is that. We have never had that population in our church for some reason. I'm not sure. As far as men to women, um, the center says that we're really, really great in that regard. Because it says if you are ever in a place as a church and you don't have a lot of men in your church, or that ratio is more women to men, it's really difficult, almost impossible to ever even it up. And he says it's great to see churches that are fairly even in the men-to-women ratio. They also did a little bit of a review for us. And they came to us and said, here's some strengths and weaknesses for you guys. Now, so what it says here is, let me just define it for you. Up here at Main Service, and down here it tells us it's our preaching, our music, stuff we do on a Sunday morning. Vision, and this was done in, in April, all right? Vision for a church, it's the DNA, the direction, the priorities. Morale. Uh, trust, joy, positive atmosphere, um, a growth, ministry growth, attendance, retention, leadership, pastors, council, in our case of elders here, deacons and all, resources, facilities, finances, and volunteers, uh, community outreach. Now, this is where there's a disconnect in who we are and how they define things. Community outreach, they talk about here. When we use that term here, we're thinking about 
um, the, the militia and how we use our campus and, and, and more of an outreach. They're talking about it here and, and how we align ourselves with our vision and all. Um, spiritual climate, uh, personal disciplines and biblical ed, strategic ministries, um, children, youth, um, 12-step program, things of that nature, and member care, uh, relational con- connection and, and, and assistance. You're going to see up there um, that where we are working on is vision. We're weak in that area, it says. There's no doubt about that. Us as an elder council have talked and talked and talked and talked until we sit and look at each other and say, I don't want to talk to you anymore about this issue. The fact of the matter is, is that they have told us is that you guys have struggled to really have a vision for who you want to be and where you're going and implementing it. We own that. That's why we brought them in. We own that and we understand that. The other place where we've, we've um, struggled is in that community outreach. And that is, in essence, what they're saying is, is that what you're doing does not align with who you say you want to be so, too much. You need to work harder on that. Um, the one thing here that you're going to see, the other area, is growth and retention. Well, let me just show you that. In 2008... We were averaging about 219 on a Sunday morning. And you see that we were going down. 2011, we were 192, and then we've plateaued. We've stayed there. We've stayed there. A year ago, we were averaging about 193 on a Sunday morning. Right now, we're averaging 205 on a Sunday morning. Where we are with that number is we see that we're growing in it. But let me just tell you a couple of things that you don't know necessarily because we, we don't just talk about it all, uh, that much. On average, we average approximately 10 guests every Sunday morning. Two weeks ago, we had 23 guests in the service. Last week, we had 19 guests in the service. Today, we have 18 of you sitting through this with us. (laughs) Family time. I see cheeseburgers coming through the back door now. (laughs) Not really. No, no. I'm sorry to mean to get his hopes up. Get it. Somebody order a cheeseburger right now for this young man. <laughs> that would mean that in the course of a year, 520 people come through this door. Our issue is that they keep going out that door. You think about this. Is if we retained 26 guests in a year, that would mean in a few years we'd be averaging over 300 people in here. Just retaining guests. So it speaks to our Sunday morning experience and what they're seeing here and what they're sensing here. You, maybe, if you're one of those guests, what you're sensing here, what you're experiencing here on a Sunday morning. We want to grow in that. We want to grow in that. Let me see. Other things here. You're going to see here our, our, the morale, it says, joy, trust, positive atmosphere, it's connected to that Sunday morning experience thing that you're seeing here. The next thing you see here is, is leadership. I'm talking about our pastors and our council. Um, and that there's a, highly, a fairly high feeling about that. Community outreach, it's kind of right there you see. Um, and I'm sorry, resources. Um, our giving has been fantastic. Our people have been very sacrificial. Um, our resources have just, we've, it's been really, really great. You know, the next thing is a community outreach and needing to link that there. The next thing, it talks about spiritual climate. Let me tell you about spiritual climate a little bit. 
In spiritual climate, what they're, they're speaking about is, is intimacy. On the surveys that we did with them, intimacy in God, people said that morning that 90% of us said that their intimacy with God had grown in the past three years. 60% of us are in a small group on a Bible study on a regular basis. And many people said that a small group in Bible study is, the main, is, is often one of the most important reasons, main reasons, that they're here. In regards to community outreach and the way we use it, 11% of the people in this room are here because of a community event that was held in this building at some time this year. And then 99% of us, nearly all of us, are saying we feel that we are intentionally and creatively trying to reach the community around us. So that's kind of a, an update on a strengths and weaknesses, areas of concern kind of thing there. It's, it's really, in many ways, very good, very positive. On the day we did this, there were 153 18-year-olds and older. Let me say that for you again. On the day we did the survey, there were 153 people in this room who were 18 years old and older. This year, we've lost about 17 of those people. Some have moved. Some are not walking with the Lord. Some don't like the way we do things. But we've also grown by 55 people who have shown up, are sitting in the chairs, and coming around. That means we have about a net growth of about 38 folks who are here. That's the kind of growth that we're seeing on that one slide. Now then, the first question you might say is, well then why isn't that number more by 55? Well, it's because not all 55 of us come every single Sunday. Other things are going on. People are doing other things. Youth, athletics, and visiting family, and sick, and all kinds of stuff. You'll see up there, like I said, that number was a year ago. We're 193. This year we're averaging about 205 on our service. The reason why I believe that that's happening, our welcome team, you saw them this morning. I saw them this morning doing things that we haven't done in our church in a long, long time. Our welcome team has been revamped. You team members are working there. Training is happening. An orientation and a training session is taking place. Our women's ministry is doing some things differently and stuff. Yesterday, hosted a new mommy's brunch to help new moms know how to like, navigate the church and just to welcome them in. The most important thing about that right there is that most of those women probably knew how to find the nursery. What they did find is they got to meet some, excuse me, ladies, some older gals in our church. And to build the bridge between younger women and older women. To me, that was the most important thing that happened yesterday morning. There are five new equipping classes that took place this year. There's another Sunday morning Sunday school class that started this year, in addition to the ongoing one. And in addition to that, like I said, we have 13 other small groups and Bible studies that are happening. In the first of the year, you're going to, we're going to begin to start rolling out an entire new plan for dispersed step. Some of the things that people said when they said, I didn't stay, or I, have, I know people who didn't stay, it was because they didn't know how to get fit in. They didn't know how to, to become part of us. We want to change that in the new year. Adventure Kids rolled out, three weeks about that, where parents could come and spend some time with family discipleship. iBlast rolled out for the first time. Last week, we had 33 kids at iBlast this past Thursday night. Um, one family that doesn't even attend here brought 11 I don't even know how you fit 11 in a car. (laughs) The partnership with CEF has seen two new Good News Clubs start up. Zach Darrow is on our campus one day a week working with Sun Country and BJ and and, um, iBlast. 
Um, all of these things are leading up to a summer day club that is going to be starting this summer, five weeks long. Mops has been meeting now since September, and we've enjoyed the blessing of seeing four families beginning to attend on Sunday mornings with us. We're really grateful for that, really grateful for that, to have them be a part of us. Um, the new assimilation program will be rolling out. It's still being developed, and we're trying to get feedback on, on knowing how that we can do that better and assimilating people and bringing them into our church. All of that is in addition to the ministries that already exist, and we still are looking to hire a new youth and worship guy in the new year. Most congregations in the United States remain small. 90% of all congregations in the United States are less than 350 people. The average congregation only has 75 people in it. We are at that cusp where people, those people say, we're at that cusp of 205 people, and most churches never get beyond that. Because you're at that place where you need just a few more leaders, just a little bit more money, just one or two more key ministries to just crawl over that 200 and to get to the place where you begin to breathe easy and you begin to see growth happening. We're at that place. But we feel like that we want to define a vision that helps us get us there. We feel like we want to continue to add structure and process that we've lacked Matter of fact, I just want to just touch on that. that. We really are netting our vision to this passage at Ephesians 4.12 for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. That's who we want to be. We want to take that seriously, and we want us to have a kind of culture. When people walk through the door here, they get a sense that, that we expect people to be being trained and being equipped and being discipled. And then if you're not doing that, it might be hard to fit in here. And so some of you are like going, I've already done all that. You know what? That's great because we have a new job for you. And it's called mentoring and coaching and discipleship. And so if you've sat here now for many years and you've done all the classes, then it's time for you to take someone by the hand. It's called a Paul and Timothy type of relationship and begin to walk a newer believer through that same process that you've already been through. That's what we're going to be looking for for some of our older Christians. As it pertains to our vision, you know, we really, we, to be and make, to be and make, that is coming right out of Matthew 28, to be and make committed followers of Christ, disciples of Christ. And we really believe that what we want to do with that is become a church that is equipping people to impact the world for Christ. And we believe that equipping Christians in spiritual character and habits and ministry skills right out of Ephesians 4.2 is the most important thing we can be doing And that out of that, we can send them. We can teach people that wherever you live is exactly where God has placed you. And that is your ministry. You don't have to be looking for what's next. That is your place. And that teaching people that this is how we serve each other wherever we are, whether it's local or global or, you know, nearby, that we are equipping people to be sent and to be serving wherever they're at. And to that end... We have already contacted Ravi Zacharias and his ministries and asked them to provide a speaker for our Bible conference in the, in the winter. Um, we're going to be rolling out um, one of their curriculums on apologetics because we believe that the, that the problem with many Christians is they don't know how to answer the questions that the world is asking. And we want to train ourselves and learn together how to answer those questions and move forward into a new culture. So... But we believe also that we just need to continue 
to preach this kind of vision. We need to continue. Now then, this is where we've struggled before, is to actually put a product on the shelf where you can come here and you can say, that's something I want to be a part of. They're not just talking. We would covet your prayers for that. We would covet your input on that. And matter of fact, we cannot do it without you. And so this morning, what I'm coming to you and saying that this next year, all this good stuff that's happened, we're excited about it. We're thrilled with it. I love seeing young couples, young families coming in here. I love seeing some of you seasoned folks as much. <laughs> and I want us to be able to, find, to, to say to you with all honesty and genuineness, that we have a place for you to fit in here. And in 2016, I hope that that happens like it hasn't happened here in a long, long time. And so if you believe that this is something that could happen here, I want to hear from you. The elders want to hear from you. If you believe you have a role in that, I want to hear from you. The elders want to hear from you. And if you think it's faulted, I want to hear from you. The elders want to hear from you. So we're asking you, to own this ministry, to step forward and to, and to say, I want to be a part of this. A few weeks ago, I did the unthinkable. I talked about money in church. Stop. Hold yourself. All right? I talked about money in church. After church that day, I had someone walk up to me and say, now that I know what your vision is, I'll start giving. Since then, I've gone to our elder council and I've gone to our staff. And I said, it's going to cost more money to do what we're doing next year. I need to be able to go to our church and say, you are aware of that, and you're going to give more. So I've gone to elders face-to-face. I said, I need to ask you to give more next year. I've gone to our staff, and I've said, I need to ask you to give more next year. I don't know what anyone gives. I don't know how any of them are going to respond. But I'm letting you know that your leadership has been given the same challenge that we're giving you. And I'm praying that they'll lead in that. Matter of fact, I've already had one person come to me and say, this is how I'd like to give more. It's not much yet, but this is how I'd like to give more. I'm saying it's going to cost more, and I'm saying that we, as a church, can all do that together in very little ways. When we started this discussion four weeks ago, we had 71 giving units in our church. When we did the numbers last week to put together the annual report, we had 79 already. I'm just asking for more people to say, I believe in that. I want to give toward that. I want to participate in that. All right? I've held you over. I need to let you go. That's the way family are. You can never trust them. (laughs) All right, let me pray for you, all right?